Hi there. How you doing? Good to see you. Hey, uh, one question that I want to start with before we get things going. Uh, how many of you, you know, when you go on a trip, vacation, something, you, would, what, you are what we would describe as an overpacker? Can I ask that? All right, keep them up, keep them up. Let's see, let's see. Everyone confessing their sins. That's good. That's good. All right. Um, now, if I can, you know, now an overpacker is someone who they're going to leave town and they take 10 pairs of shoes, 25 shirts, 18 pairs of pants for a three-day trip. Okay, that's, that's what, um, now how many of you are underpackers, can I ask that? Yeah, yeah, solidarity. All right, now the underpackers, which seem like mostly men, which is just an interesting phenomenon, um, that's, you know, we go on a seven-day trip and take two shirts, and we're like, I'll figure out the rest when I get there. Um, now, I, I am more on the underpacker side. Uh, I, when I travel, I really take as little as possible, and I try to extend what I have as much as possible, uh, especially if I'm going to speak somewhere. Um, I will only take a carry-on. I never, ever, uh, I do my very best not to uh, check a bag. So, and I almost always have someone travel with me when I go speak somewhere. And uh, if they come to my house and we're going to the airport together and they have a bag that they're going to check, they can be sure they will be mocked that entire trip because I feel that that's the role God has put me in, is to mock them. Um, now, the reason that I am a bit of an underpacker, and I, and I say this, is because I want to explain to you the typical Franquist family vacation. I have to understand, um, my wife and I have three kids, five, uh, almost three, and uh, four months. So uh, the last trip we went on, here's, here's kind of what it looked like. And, uh, I, you have two humongous suitcases. This is kind of what gets the party started. By the way, neither of these are mine. Um, this is not what I get to use. I have to use something that's much more compact. But there's that, and then there's these smaller ones that um, start here. Now, this is what I usually bring when I go out of town, but if I'm going on a trip for a week, I'll bring this. And um, so there's the smaller guy, and then there's the medium-sized guy. But you've got to understand, and then my kids, uh, they have their own stuff. So my daughter brings her Hello Kitty suitcase, and my son brings his Lightning McQueen suitcase um, just to, because, you know, they, they got to keep it real. And, um, but then, when you got to go somewhere, um, we have to bring strollers, because our kids are little, and um, so now, there's strollers here for that, and then, of course, they can't drive, they can't just sit in the car, so we have to bring car seats. Um, and uh, so there's that, and then uh, one more because we have an infant. And, um, and then in the midst of all of that, there's a diaper bag. There's my daughter brings a purse. Uh, my son carries a lunchbox with all of his cars in them. And um, by the way, my friends, this is the reason that airlines charge for luggage, if you weren't aware. Um, and uh, so, you know, one t- now this is the last trip we took. I mean, this is everything... And three little humans. By the, by the way, my, you know, it's all this plus these three little kids with us going through the airport. And we're taking most of this stuff, um, not the bags, but you know, these two little, guy, little things. And then the strollers and the car seats. That all has to go through uh, TSA, which stands for thousands standing around. Um, and so we're, we're, going through, we're going through TSA. And, um, and, and it's, just, you know, it's, a, it's a nightmare just by yourself. You can imagine with, you know, it's like, I'm trying to explain to my kids, like, okay, take off your shoes, 
Like, what's that all about? And then they got to take off their shoes. And then, um, and then you take off your belt and your wallet and all this stuff. You have any coins on you. And uh, so you, t- you do all that. And then as we're put, I've got everything on there. My wife has gone through. My daughters have gone through. And then my son and I are left. And we're pushing everything through. And then he turns to me and he says, Poppy. And I say, what's in there? And he goes, I pooped. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, this is like the last thing I need to hear is that at that, at that moment. Now, the, the reason I tell you all of this, and I, I bring this out to illustrate, is that life is so much better with less baggage. Let me, it's actually not a great experience, but when I'm traveling, I was tra- traveling last month, um, it was just this, just me and this, just walking through the airport. This is easy. There's not much, you know, I can just take this wherever I want. Not a big deal. You know, it's, it doesn't weigh all that much. But man, when you got all this other stuff, it's like, I mean, it's like an act of Congress. So like, okay, we're going to stop and eat here. We're going to stop to use the bathroom. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. Now, I tell you all of this because this is the point that Jesus is making in this one verse that we're going to look at today. That too many people are carrying around tons of baggage Baggage that's keeping them from going from where they are to where God wants them to go. Keeping them from where they are to whom God wants them ultimately to become. And, here's, and what happens in many of our lives, and I think we'd all understand this and admit this, is that we, we all start out with very little baggage. Very little. But then something happens over the course of our lives. We, someone hurts us. Someone disappoints us. A relationship goes south. We get passed over for a promotion. And it doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't happen in one day. It doesn't even happen all in one year. But over the course of our lives, it just kind of, we start ever so subtly. subtly, um, It's like a snowball effect. It, It starts to just kind of, we get weighed down from all of this baggage that we have. And the question is now, once you're weighed down with all this stuff, what do you do with it? I mean, what do you do with all these hurts and resentments and frustrations and disappointment and that little bit of bitterness that's now set in that's happened to us over the years? And what happens many times is that what we just do is we become bitter. We become bitter about life. We become jaded to the point where we can't even be happy when something good happens to us because we have all of this junk that we've never been able to let go. We can never actually go ultimately where God wants us to go because there's all this stuff that keeps holding us down and holding us back and keeping us out from the place that God wants us and where he wants us to be. And we can do that. We can actually become bitter. We can actually uh, allow that to get us, make us jaded and keep us from becoming whom, uh, the, the person whom God wants us to be. Or here's what we can do. We can embrace the toughest of the contrarian statements that Jesus gives. The toughest. And we're going to talk about it. And I will be totally honest with you that it is, this is a lot easier to teach than it is to do. But listen, I'm going to tell you, what I'm going to tell you right now, your life depends on this. Where you go in life, your life depends on this. Where you end up is dependent on what you're going to do with all of this. And so if we can learn this and learn to let go of all the junk and all the baggage and all the the stuff that keeps us down, listen, it's the toughest challenge of all these contrarian statements. It's what we call the challenge of mercy. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew 5, 9. He says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, before we go into 
how to be merciful and why mercy is so important. I want to tell you four things that mercy is not so that we're all starting from the same page if we can. So I hope you're taking notes. We have it in your outlines here. And, uh, but here's the first one. Number one is that mercy is not justifying another person's actions. It's not justifying another person's actions. When you forgive and show mercy, it's not that you're saying that what that person did was okay. What you're doing when you show mercy and forgive is that you're letting go of the baggage that will hold you back. And if you want to write this down somewhere in your notes, here's the definition of mercy. is not getting what you deserve. You deserve something. You deserve judgment, retribution, payback, and someone cancels the debt. That's mercy. But see, when we do that, when someone sins against us and we cancel the debt and we show mercy, that doesn't mean that we're justifying what they did or we're saying what they did was right. We're saying what you did was wrong, you sinned against me, but I'm choosing to forgive. I'm choosing to show mercy. I'm choosing to have compassion where others would have judgment. The second thing is this, is that mercy is not waiting for the passage of time. It's not waiting for the passage of time. You know, there's this old saying that time heals all wounds. Whoever said that was an idiot. Uh, Because you know what I have found? I have found just the opposite to be true. That actually the passage of time actually hardens people and embitters people who haven't forgiven. Time only becomes our friend when we choose to forgive. And we make the decision to forgive. And then as we walk in that forgiveness, time lessens the pain. The third is this. Mercy is not denying that you're hurt. Mercy is not denying that you're hurt. You're hurt. You ever have this? That someone hurts you and you're like, Are you, what's wrong? And you're like, nothing. What's wrong? No big, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Or, or this is the classic one. Are you okay? No, man, I'm, I'm just tired. Really? I just ran over your pet. I know, I'm just tired. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm all right. You know, but what is that? Well, what happens is that when we say it's no big deal, or we say, oh, yeah, I'm fine, you know, it's just that stuff kind of gets under our skin, and like a splinter that goes unattended, it starts causing infection and pain in our lives. Mercy is about deciding to forgive rather than exact revenge. It's a, and, and the only way that you can actually be merciful and forgive someone is if you acknowledge that you're actually hurt. Hey, you, you sinned against me. But here's what I want you to know. I forgive you. I, I know that I could lord this over you. I know that I could, you know, retaliate. But here's what I want you to know. I wa- I'm going to be merciful because God has been merciful to me and I'm going to forgive. You have to, you have to acknowledge that, that, there's been, that there's been a hurt. And here's the fourth one, is, and this is important, and that is that mercy is not automatically trusting them again. Just because you show mercy and forgive someone doesn't mean you have to trust them. Forgiveness is, so, is a choice that we make, and forgiveness is something that God commands us to give when a person asks for forgiveness. Trust is something that's earned. Forgiveness is not earned. Forgiveness is freely given. Trust is earned. And so, listen, we are to forgive freely, but listen, people need to earn our trust through wise actions and wise choices. So Jesus, so Jesus says this. We were talking about these contrarian statements. He says this contrarian's guide to happiness. And Jesus says this, happy, right? Blessed means, oh, how happy is. Oh, how fortunate are those who are merciful. Oh, how happy is 
the person who is merciful. Why? Because they will obtain mercy. When we are merciful, it's the way to obtain mercy. It is the way to picture our God who models the kind of mercy that has been shown to us. So what I want to do in the time that remains is I want to explain this contrarian statement, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy, by telling you a story that Jesus told his disciples about mercy and forgiveness. And here's what I know to be true. I said it earlier. But listen, if you embrace this, this has the power to be revolutionary in your life. I mean, this, this has the power to transform your life. This has the power to, to cause you all the stuff that's been holding you back. It has the power to release you from all of this and allow you to actually let go of all this stuff and become the person whom God wants you to be, to go where it is that God ultimately wants you to go and to release you from all this stuff that's been holding you back. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 23 as Jesus tells this story. He says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who went to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, he was, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and that and all that he has, and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have, mer- have patience on me, and I will repay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But he would not. And he went and threw him in prison until he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all that, uh, that had been done. And then his master, after he had called them, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. You... Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers, that he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father will also do to each of you, if from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. If you pause there and give me your attention. In this story, Jesus shows us two, three truths about mercy, about forgiveness, about why we should be merciful. And here's what he says. Here's the first one, if you're taking note, and that is this. The, the reason why is it important, why is it huge about for us to, when it comes to mercy, why we should be merciful, number one, is to remember the mercy shown to us. Remember the mercy shown to us. Um, a few years ago, it's probably about three or four years ago now, Pastor John lent his car to someone. And uh, while he lent his car to this, uh, this person, they, uh, they scratched it up. And, um, and John, you know John, he comes out every week and teaches sometimes. And uh, so he comes into the office, and I'm like, hey, what's up? And, and he says, oh, you know, this, I lent my car, and they, they scratched it up. And so uh, I said, well, what are you going to do about it? And he told me that he forgave the person 
and didn't make them pay for the damages. And I got so piping mad. I mean, I started yelling at him in my office. And I'm like, that is totally irresponsible of you. You should make him pay because it's the only way they're going to learn their lesson. And I start, I start going crazy. And, uh, and John, you know, listens. And he says, um, and he says well, Bob, the, the problem is, is that, you know, a week ago, I, I borrowed a friend of mine's truck. And I scratched his truck pretty good. And he forgave me and didn't make me pay for the truck. So I just felt like since this guy had forgiven me for the truck, I should probably forgive this guy for scratching my car. I mean, I think it's what Jesus taught us to do. And... um, And, I, and I'm like, yeah, well, let that be a lesson to you. You can leave now. You know, and I, I mean, I, I felt like such an idiot, you know, and it's like, you know, I, I mean, like, I, I'm this guy, and I couldn't believe, you know, it's like, I'm a Bible teacher, blah, 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 and I'm this guy. I'm like demanding justice and vengeance and all this, and I'm that guy. And, and, and John, the story would be so much better if Pastor John was in the story, um, and, and, you know, but um, it, it was just this, this amazing thing because listen to what the Bible says. It says this in Ephesians 4. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Do you know why forgiveness is difficult at times? It's because it's not the natural reaction when we're hurt. Do you know what the natural reaction is when we're hurt? Vengeance. Revenge. I mean, and it's like, you know, if, and the truth is, is that sometimes we feel bad, oh, you know, this happened, and I just, I just wanted to slug the guy. Did you? No, but I just felt that way, and I feel bad. Listen, if you are still human, all right, you know, I'm pretty sure that's the case for most of us, all right, if you're human, that is always, you know, I mean, that's going to be the first response, like, Argh! but then there's something else that happens. You don't have to be ruled by that old nature. There's actually a new person. If you're, if you're a believer in Jesus, there, there's like the old nature and then there's a new nature. And you can actually be transformed so that new nature can begin to take control of your life rather than letting the old nature take control. And so that's why Jesus says this. He says, the blessed, the, those who are incredibly blessed are the people who are merciful. And the reason why is because the fact that we're showing mercy shows that we have been the recipients of mercy. That we have been the recipients of grace, the recipients of forgiveness. And do you know what that causes in a person when we're always reminded that we are the recipients of mercy, grace, and forgiveness from God? It causes something called gratitude. And man, a person who lives a grateful life. Aren't, the, aren't people who are grateful like the, 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 the most fun people to be around, the, the easiest people to be around? Because they're just like, oh man, this is, oh, oh thank you. You know, there, there's no expectation. There's no thinking, oh, I deserve, I should have. There's just like, hey, you know, whatever happens, we're just going to make the best of it. You see, what the, the problem in the story that Jesus tells is that the man who owes the money in the story never actually asks for mercy. When we read it, did you, know, did you notice that? That he's going to throw him into prison. And what does the man say? He says, have patience with me and I will repay all. He doesn't ask for mercy. He asks for more time. And that's a huge part of the story as we're going to go on. Because the problem is, is that this man actually owes the king in this story 
he owes him 10,000 talents. Now that may or may not seem like a lot, but when you actually do the conversion into our currency today, this is Jesus telling the story. There was this guy, and he owed the king 10,000 talents, which is the equivalent of $5.2 billion. Now, why does Jesus pick that number? He doesn't just pick it out of the air. 10,000 talents was the amount of tax money that King Herod collected in a year. And so he takes a real king. And he says, imagine one person owing what an entire country pays in taxes in a year. I mean, it, that is essentially just an, an, an innumerable, I mean, it, it's, just, it's, it's an incredible sum. But the reality is this. And so that's why the forgiveness of, of that debt is so absolutely overwhelming. But what we have to understand, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Have you ever, like, thought about how much God has forgiven you? Like, I mean, you know, you just kind of like, and I'm not talking about like this week. I'm, this week would be an incredible sum. But, and this is like, you know, and a lot of us are, you know, most of us are Christians here, and, and we're like really trying to do our best, and we're trying to follow Jesus, and it's probably, we need more than, more than an entire legal pad. It's just, and that's just this week. Now, now go back, like, before you were a Christian, high school, Prom, you know, the night you turned 21, I got my driver's license, got my first car, you know, you're like, oh my, you know, I'm never going to be able to, you know, we're the guy that owes 5.2 billion. It's just this, this, this number that's just like bigger than you could possibly imagine. But what happened? Listen, this guy was a dead man because He was going to go into prison, and that was going to be the last we ever heard from him because he was never going to say, okay, boss, here's that last billion I owe you. Now I can get out of jail. No, it's done. He's going in, and he's never coming out because he's never going to be able to repay that debt. It's a lot like you and me. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. If we can pause there for a second, that's a bad situation. Here's what the Bible says. We are, we, before we come to know Jesus, we are so engrossed in our sins. We're like a dead person. I mean, totally dead to spiritual things. Totally dead to the work of God's Spirit in us. And, and at that, listen, and we are so caught up in that, that here's what the Bible calls us, children of wrath. Descendants of wrath. I mean, this is like, it's, we're done. But see, I'm so glad that this, the Bible doesn't end there. Right, like that would stink. Like, you know, like, you know, then all that children by wrath, and the next verse stinks to be you. You know, like I'm so glad it doesn't end there. But then here's what happens. If you got your pen, you may want to circle this. You got your Bible, you may want to circle this. Here's what it says. Next two words. But God. Boy, that isn't that isn't that a good thing? That I was going my own way in life, but God. I was about to make the most horrible decision of my life, but God. Man, things were, I was hopeless, but God. 
Listen, there are times in our lives, and if you've come to know Jesus in, in, in your life, here's what you know, is that there was a moment that you would say, I was dead in trespasses and sins, and I was a child of wrath even as others, but God. But God what? But God, here's the next five words in that, who is rich in mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which with he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How God sees it, we were dead. But because God is rich in mercy, he made us alive. So the question then becomes, God, the king forgives this guy who owes $5.2 billion, but he can't turn around and forgive the guy that owes him a few bucks. What's the problem? The problem is this guy never asked for mercy. He asked for more time, and that's why it never, this merciful life never actually came out of him because he never saw himself as a person needing mercy. He just saw himself as a person who could work for it and figure it out because, you know, he was going to do it. He was going to make it because he was good enough. He just needed more time to make it happen. The king looks on and says, you don't realize that you're a dead man. You don't realize that all I got to do is send you to the prison and you will never be heard from again. You see, when you show mercy and compassion and forgive, it reveals something about you. It reveals that you have been the recipient of forgiveness and grace and compassion But when we refuse or withhold forgiveness, listen, and when we choose revenge over mercy, it reveals that we've never experienced mercy. When I was nine years old, um, I I was uh, living in um, Somerville, Massachusetts. And uh, I got hungry, uh, and I went into our pantry, and we had a bag of Doritos there. I I got the the Doritos, and I sat on the couch to watch whatever cartoon was on. And I I didn't really want to eat the Doritos, what I just, but I wanted the flavor of the Doritos. So what I did was is that as only a, a, an elementary school kid can do, I grabbed the Doritos and I licked all the cheese off. And after I licked all the cheese off, I didn't want to be wasteful, so I put the Dorito, which now was a, tost, which now was a Tostito, back into a very moist Tostito, back into the bag. And so I did that to all of the Doritos, and then it became a bag of moist Tostitos. And so, which all was fine and good till about an hour later when my mom decided she wanted a Dorito and bit into a very moist chip and almost threw up. And that's when she walked into my room with a bag of Doritos and a belt in her hand. And that's when things got ugly. And um, now, um, if I can fast forward 28 years to my then three-year-old daughter, I go into my pantry and grab a bag of Doritos. And I open the bag and take a bite, and they are all wet because they are actually not Doritos. They are very moist Tostitos. And um, I talk to my three-year-old, at the time, three-year-old daughter, Mia. And I say, Mia, um, what happened here? And she says, oh, well, I, I wanted Doritos. And I said, well, you didn't eat the Doritos. She says, no, I just was really in the mood for the cheese. So I licked all the cheese off, but then I put it back in the bag in case someone else wants some. And... Um, I mean, what do you do in that situation? I know what was done to me in that situation because apparently that's a capital offense in the home I grew up in. Um, and I, so I just, I just laughed. I just laughed and I told Mia the story minus 
the butt whipping I got. Um, and I, I told her the, uh, and I told her that number one, that's a really disgusting thing to do. I told her number two, I did it when I was a kid, and uh, and you know, it was a lot easier to forgive when I had been guilty of the same sin. Isn't that interesting? When I had been guilty of the same thing, I remembered. I remembered, and I remember wishing that someone would have had mercy on me. And so now in, in the other, you know, now three decades later, I'm standing on the other side of this. And we, and we just laughed about it, and she's never done it since because that's just what good parenting does. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what I taught her that year. And, uh, and, and, but here's the thing, you know, understanding that I'm a sinner in need of mercy allowed me to show my daughter grace. And listen, that's what being a Christian is about. The fact that, listen, when someone sins against us, that we can say, you know what? God has forgiven me of much worse. And so now, that small amount, I have have the capacity to forgive because God has forgiven me of so much more. There's a second thing I want to tell you about this story. It's not just to remember the mercy shown to us. But that's the first thing that this story teaches us about being merciful. The second thing the story teaches us is to realize the power of mercy. The word mercy that Jesus uses is a Greek word called elios, um, E-L-E-O-S. And it carries, the word carries these two basic ideas. In fact, the word sometimes in the Bible is translated compassion. In fact, later in the story, when the king um, gets the servant back who wouldn't forgive the servant, you know, the other guy, you know, a few bucks, he says, why didn't you have elios, compassion? So it's translated mercy, it's translated compassion, it's translated pity, um, But the idea behind this word, which is translated mercy, is um, it's not just having compassion, but it's having compassion and then taking action to relieve the suffering. So when this king hears that, um, when this king forgives the man's debt, he wasn't just forgiving his debt. I told you, he was giving the man his life back because he's never going to actually be able to repay it. But not only that... In, in this culture, not only would he be thrown into prison, his wife would be thrown into prison, his kids would be thrown into prison. And so the fact that he's forgiving it, listen to what he's doing. He's actually absorbing the debt. He's absorbing the debt. He himself is taking on the debt so that this person can go free. My friends, that's what the cross is all about. It's about Jesus taking on the debt so that we, as his Followers can be the recipients of forgiveness and grace. And that's the point that Jesus is making. When the king forgave the man, he was releasing the man from a life of misery. The same thing happens when we show mercy and forgive. The only difference is, here's what we don't realize, we're the ones who are in prison when we don't forgive. Unforgiveness traps us and keeps us stuck in the place that we're in. Unforgiveness is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. It just it doesn't make sense. And I can't tell you how many times over the years I've talked with people who refuse to forgive and then blame the other person as the reason that they can't move on. So a person goes through a very painful divorce and they don't forgive the other person who inflicted the pain and it ke- you know what it keeps them in? It keeps them from experiencing a healthy relationship in the future. When a person has been betrayed and they refuse to let it go, it keeps them from ever trusting another person again. But somehow they think, no, I'm not going to let them off the hook. Can I tell you something? That 
forgiveness is not letting that other person off the hook. Many times it's letting yourself off the hook. It's you just saying, here's what I'm going to do. All this stuff, um, I know it hurts, and I know it was horrible, but here's what I have to do. I have to walk away from it because I'm becoming this, and I don't want to become this. See, when we don't forgive, we become the man who has been forgiven the $5.2 billion who wouldn't forgive the person who owed him a little. This guy who's been forgiven the $5.2 billion, he finds a guy that owes him 100 denarii. 100 denarii, a denarius in that uh, culture was a, a coin, and it was a day's wage, a, typical, a day's wage in that culture. Um, and to, to, uh, so it was about 100 denarii, about, you know, three and a half months salary. Um, in, in our culture, translating it, it would be about $2,000, based on, you know, how, how that works. He's been forgiven $5.2 billion. Some guy shows up and owes him two grand, and he can't find it in his heart to forgive, and he throws the guy in prison. Even though the guy asks for the very same thing, I just need more time. Can I tell you this? Um, listen, this is, much harder to, this is much harder to do than it is to say. This is easy to say. This is much harder to live. But I'm telling you this because your very life depends on it. If you are a Christian, you do not have the luxury of withholding forgiveness. Because you withhold forgiveness and that you, you let that, that unforgiveness begin to stir and settle and take root. And now it's that unforgiveness becomes resentment. And the resentment um, now becomes the hurt. And the hurt now becomes bitterness. And the bitterness starts to poison who you are. And I'm telling you that I've, I've watched people over the course of my life just become different people. Because they wouldn't. Allow, they would just refuse to say, I just will not allow that person to get away with it. And they've just held on to the unforgiveness. And then a decade goes by. And then two decade go, decades go by. And then they come out of that. And you know what happens? It has fundamentally altered who they are. And now they can't even see who they are without all of the baggage that they take with them. And anytime somebody goes, but you don't know, let me tell you my sad story. And nobody's questioning whether it's a sad story or not. It is. It's horrible. And I'm sorry it happened. I am. From the bottom of my heart, listen, those of us in this room, if we all stood up and told our story of those who have hurt us, we would be weeping by the end. Because those of us who are here, many of us have experienced horrible things. And I share this with you from the bottom of my heart. I really am sorry that it happened. But the truth of the matter is, we have to forgive and let it go. Because if we don't, listen, it's our very life that's at stake. It's our very life that we're talking about, that this will change who we are. It will change where we go. It will change what God can do in our lives. It will change how we view God himself. Because listen, when we forgive, it's not because people deserve it. It's because we're reflecting the God who forgave us. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy. It says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. 
But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. My friends, the power of mercy is that it has the ability to set you free from unforgiveness, to set you free from hate, to set you free from bitterness, to set you free from revenge, to set you free from needless pain and needless regret. How? Through embracing the gospel. My friends, at the very heart of the gospel is a God who was willing to be merciful and forgive, who saw us and said, I I love them too much to leave them in the state that they're in. And not because we deserved it, but because we needed it. And because he loved us, he sent his son to die for us so that we could inherit mercy. So that we could receive mercy and forgiveness and grace. And now we could turn and be dispensers of mercy and forgiveness. You know, there's this picture of mercy in the Bible. It's called baptism. Baptism is a picture of identifying with Jesus, reflecting him and what he did. The Bible says in Romans chapter uh, 6 that when a person goes into the water, they're actually identifying with Jesus in his death. But then when they come out of the water, they're identifying with Jesus in his resurrection and what the Bible calls the newness of life. And the point is this, because God has shown mercy on me, on you, on us, we can go into the water and we can come out of the water a new person. We can leave that old person behind. We can leave all of that baggage behind. And now, in newness of life, we can actually be the people that he's called us to be, the people that he wants us to be. You see, here's why this is so important. And I know many of you have come to know Jesus in the last few weeks. Some of you are going to be baptized today right after this service, and I commend you for that. Um, The thing that I love about those of you that have made a decision, you came to know Christ maybe the last month, and you're saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to be baptized. You know what you're doing? You're setting up for yourself a pattern of obedience. That you've read what the scriptures have to say, you've heard what you've been taught about baptism, and you say, that's what Jesus wants me to do, then that's what I'm going to do. But when you delay, when you say, well, I don't know, and maybe some other time, and well, I got got a thing, you know what you're doing? You're now creating, you're setting up yourself for a pattern of disobedience where now we start to pick and choose what commands of Jesus we're going to do and what commands of Jesus we're going to punt for a later time. So here's my challenge to you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've never made the decision, be baptized today. Right after this service, we're having a baptism. And guess what we have? We have a shirt for you. We have a pair of shorts for you. Um, We have a towel for you. All you have to bring is willingness to obey God and meet him at the water's edge and say, I'm going to do what Jesus asked me to do. Baptism is not about being perfect. It's about, it's about the fact that God has shown me mercy. And what I want to do is, I was dead in trespasses. That's what happens when I go into the water. But God, who was rich in mercy, raised me up. And you come out of the water in newness of life, picturing in an external way what God has done in an internal reality in your life. Third thing, last thing I want to show you about mercy in this story is that reflecting mercy reveals our God. It reveals our God. That when we show mercy, we, we reflect. That's why he, the king says, how could you have not shown mercy when I showed mercy to you? The fact that you had been the recipient of mercy should have caused you to be merciful. Um, I was at Bayside a few years ago uh, with my older sister and my dad. 
and my dad had kind of wandered off, gone to a store. We kept walking, however it worked. And, and my sister said, hey, let's go find him. And, you know, Robert, can you go find him? And so I go to find him. And, and, I, and I saw him. I saw him out of the corner of my eye. And I turned, and it was a mirror. You ever have that moment? You think you see your dad, but it's actually you. Like you realize, I am turning into my parents. I wept that day. Um, and you know, I'm telling you, I had a, I, you ever do that? You, like you talk to yourself in the mirror? I do that. I'm like, Bob, what happened to you? You were doing so well. And then you fell apart. You know, and, um, but listen, everybody has that experience at some point in your life. And some of you are young, and uh, you'll have that. And those of us who are a little older will be happy when it happens to you, like it happened to us. We will. And uh, like you'll, you'll re- look in the mirror and realize you're becoming your parents. And, and, and listen, do you know that that's the goal that God has for you? Not that you would look like your earthly dad, but that you would, look more, that you would keep looking more and more like your heavenly father. That one of the chief, and, and the way that is, listen, one of the chief attributes of our heavenly father is that he is rich in mercy and rich in forgiveness. In Psalm 136, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, he is good, his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, his mercy endures forever. Twenty-six times in that psalm, they say that God's mercies endure forever, that one of his chief characteristics is that he's merciful. And the longer that we walk with God as believers the more we should reflect that in our lives. And that's why the first step is releasing bitterness and releasing hate and releasing revenge and releasing the hurt is coming to God. That he shows us mercy and forgiveness and he releases our debt because, listen, all of us are debtors because all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of God's standard. But here's what God did. He became a man. He died for us. He rose again, proving that he was God, providing payment for your sins and mine. And he said, I know the debt is innumerable, but here, guess what? I'm forgiving the debt. All we have to do is receive it. But maybe, maybe what brought you here today is that you're going through a tough time. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe someone close hurt you. Maybe someone betrayed you. Maybe you're here because life hasn't turned out the way you hoped that it would. Can I just tell you that the first step to healing is coming to God? The first step to change is coming to God. The first step to forgiveness is is coming to God. That, listen, Jesus died for you and me, for us, and he invites us into a relationship with him. Because we can't truly extend forgiveness until we've been the recipients of forgiveness. Maybe you're here and you know the Lord. Maybe you're here and you've walked with him and then you walked away. And, and, and this has been your struggle as you've been sitting here. You've said, but Pastor Bob, you know, um, I, I would love to be the recipient of mercy. But see, it's not that I didn't know. It's that I knew and I did it anyway. You see, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that, but I did. And what am I supposed to do now? I knew I wasn't supposed to go there, but I did. And what am I supposed to do now? Can I tell you something? That God 
is waiting for you. Not with a hand of judgment, but with open arms to receive you, to lavish on you his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. The question that we have to answer is will we receive it? The question that we have to answer is will we come to him? You see, we're going to pray in just a moment, and here's what I'm going to challenge many of you to do, is to make a decision to follow Jesus. That Jesus rose again from the dead so that you could have eternal life. Listen, I'm not talking about existence, like being alive, you know, like I'm breathing. But I'm talking about not existence where you're filled with resentment and bitterness and regret. That's not life. I'm talking about that God wants your life to overflow with love and mercy and forgiveness and peace. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, to ask him to forgive you, to give you the gift of eternal life and the promise of heaven when you die, but also to release you from all the baggage and all the hurt and all the resentment and all the bitterness that's been weighing you down. My friends, this is the moment where we realize that we owed an innumerable sum that we're never going to be able to pay back but then we learn the wonderful news that God has already paid the price if we're willing to receive it and that he's willing to pay the debt, he's willing to forgive us and allow us to be free and to allow us to live a life that we've only dreamed of let's pray together and Lord we thank you We thank you that you are the God of mercy and grace. That God, we were dead, trespasses and sins. But you, who are rich in mercy, you reached out your hand to us. You're reaching out your hand to us even now to receive you, to forgive us, to transform us. God, may this be the moment for many Listen, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, and as we're praying together. Maybe you've heard this message and God has really struck a chord in your life and you're saying, this is my moment, this is my day. I need to invite Jesus to come into my life. I need to ask him to forgive me. I need to get rid of all the baggage as I come into a relationship with him and experience his forgiveness and love and mercy and grace. That Jesus died for me. And I want to embrace that today. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And so I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand so I can pray for you and acknowledge you. And I see many hands across the room. Blessings to you. I see hands in the back, hands on the side, in the front, everywhere in this auditorium. Blessings to you. I see hands in the back there. God bless you. Hands on the side. Hands there in the center. I see hands in the back there on the left. God bless you. That you say, Lord, this is my day. I need to come to know you. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for those who have lifted a hand because it represents a heart that is open. And so God, I ask that you would do a work in their life and as they make a decision to follow you, that you would hear from heaven, that you would act and that this would be the day that you change their lives forever. In Jesus' name, amen.